You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. You know, because this is the one gift where, where a lot of people fight about and, and, and debate about. And, and on one end of the extreme might be what I would call the, the charismaniac uh, who, would, who would tell you that, that, you know, if you do not speak in the gift of tongues, you're not even saved. You're not even a Christian. But then on the other end of the extreme might be what I would call the charisphobiac who is afraid of the things of the Spirit. And they would tell you that, that tongues is not for today, that it, that it, that it ceased, it, 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 it's no longer for today. In fact, they might go on to say that, that if you speak in tongues, you might even be demon-possessed. And so on one extreme, you've got some who, who, who pridefully and, and arrogantly kind of boast about how they can parse the Greek and explain to you why this gift ceased and is no longer for today. But then on the other end of the extreme might be those who, who act like they're super spiritual and they, and, they, and they act like they're more superior to you because they speak in tongues and you do not. Kind of like this meme I saw that, that, that says, I pray in tongues. Yeah, but you gossip in English. <laughs> and so this morning in chapter 12, we're going to learn the truth about tongues. And so now as I go back to verse 10, uh, the first thing we're going to learn is that the Corinthians were overemphasizing the gift of tongues. They were overemphasizing the gift of tongues. So in verse 10 again, after Paul talks about the gift of faith and the gift of healing, he then says in verse 10, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, let's, let's get some historical context. Remember, the ancient city of Corinth uh, had a hill. The, the highest hill in the city of Corinth was called the Acro-Corinth. Now, at the top of this hill was, was the world-famous temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, again, as I've shared before, that temple, the temple of Aphrodite, housed a thousand temple prostitutes. Now, by the way, did you know that, that those temple prostitutes spoke in tongues? You know, they, they, they had this ecstatic utterances. They, they, they spoke in tongues. How it would work was, was uh, they would have a, a festival called the Festival of Aphrodisia. And so during the Festival of Aphrodisia, they would dance and, and then they would drink a drink called an aphrodisiac. By the way, an aphrodisiac comes from the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. So they'd have a, an aphrodisiac as a drink and this aphrodisiac was a mixture of, of alcohol along with an herb that the Hebrews called chasanim, uh, the Greeks and the Scythians simply called it hemp. The Jamaicans call it ganja. You might have heard of it. It's legalized here in our state, called marijuana. And, and so they, they would drink this drink and they would dance themselves into a frenzy and, 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 and get themselves into an altered state of consciousness. And while they were in this altered state of consciousness, they would then speak in what they called the language of the gods. We would call it speaking in tongues. And then this, this festival called the Festival of Aphrodisia would always end with an all-out orgy with the temple prostitutes. And so uh, it's interesting, Dr. Akbar Abdul Haq says that, that, that it's not uncommon for this same phenomenon to be seen in some Hindu religions to this day. And so even in, in, in the year 2023, there are some Hindu religions in the world that still do this very same thing. They, 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 they have this drink, they do the dancing, they get into an altered state of consciousness. And by the way, that is among many, that, that is one of the reasons that the Bible condemns drug use. For example, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. If you're sober, write that down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, if, if you read in the Greek translation of the Bible, if you're reading the Greek manuscripts, you're going to read the Greek word pharmakia. Now, we get the English word pharmacy from it, but this Greek word pharmakia, it, it, it means literally mind-altering drugs. Mind-altering drugs. Now, where it gets confusing is that in our English translations of those Greek manuscripts, the English translations translate the word pharmakia, mind-altering drugs, they translate it sorcery. But literally, the word sorcery is pharmakia. It is mind-altering drugs. And it's listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 as a bad thing. It's being condemned. It's, it's called the work of the flesh. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the flesh. And so it's condemned in the scriptures. Why? Because this is a, a, among many of the ways that the pagans would work themselves into an altered state of consciousness. And being in an altered state of consciousness is condemned in the scriptures. So that's the background of the Corinthians. And so because of their background, the Corinthians were, 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 were predisposed to sort of overemphasize the gift of tongues. And so in many ways, they, they believed that, that whenever the spirit of their God was, was moving upon you, that, that there would be some kind of an outward manifestation to show and to prove that the spirit of that God was moving. And, and, and so, you know, you would do this or do that, and one of the many things you would do is speak in the language of your gods, the, 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 the language of tongues. And, and, and you know, we, we see that same logic even today in some Christian circles, where there's this belief that if the spirit's moving, there's going to be a, a manifestation. And, and in fact, in many circles, there's this belief that if you are not speaking in tongues, the Spirit is not upon you. You don't even have the Holy Spirit. You might not even be saved. You might not even be a Christian. Now, we do see some examples in the Bible of people who, after they receive the Holy Spirit, they do speak in tongues. For example, Acts chapter 10. We read about a man named Cornelius. And after Cornelius and his whole household are saved, they believe in Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in tongues, and they magnify God. And then later on, Acts chapter 19 Paul meets a group of guys from the city of Ephesus, and they're Christians, they're, they're followers of Jesus. And so Paul asks them, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered and they said, well, well we, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul prays for them, uh, they, they, they get baptized, he lays hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they spoke in tongues. Now there are many people who, who, who see that and say, you know what, that is how it's supposed to happen every single time. That whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the primary sign that, that the Holy Spirit is upon you is that you will speak in tongues. And if you're not speaking in tongues, then you never receive the Holy Spirit. There's just one problem with that, and that is that there are examples in the Bible of people who've received the Holy Spirit, but they, they didn't speak in tongues when they received the Holy Spirit. Namely, for example, the Apostle Paul. You know, in the book of Acts, we read about, about Paul's conversion, right? Where the Apostle Paul, he's going on this road to, to a place called Damascus. He's going to murder some Christians. He's going to kill him some Christians. And on the way, he encounters Jesus. Jesus knocks him off his feet, blinds him, and, and then Jesus sends a guy by the name of Ananias to pray for him. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now there's a couple things we see in that verse. Number one, we see that he received the Holy Spirit. And then immediately after he received the Holy Spirit, it says he spoke in tongues, right? 
Wrong. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in there is tongues mentioned. No, he received the Holy Spirit and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight. Now, does that mean that every single time someone is filled by the Holy Spirit, scales are going to fall off their eyes? And, 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 or, on the other hand, does this mean that, that because the Apostle Paul, in this very moment, didn't start speaking in tongues right there on the spot, does that mean that, that, that he never did receive the Holy Spirit? Does that mean he's not saved? No, obviously, he received the Holy Spirit. You see, this is among, among many of the reasons why, why I reject this, this extreme view that says that if you do not speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. You're not filled with the Spirit, and you're not saved. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of churches out there that teach that. In fact, there are some churches that even have classes to teach you how to speak in tongues. It's true. In fact, I heard of a guy who went to one of these classes. So he went to the class, and, and the guy teaching the class says, okay, I want you to say hallelujah. So the guy says, Hallelujah. He says, okay, now say hallelujah faster. So he says it faster, hallelujah. He says, say it again, say it faster, hallelujah. He says, say it as fast as you can. He says, hallelujah. And he says, you got it, brother, you're speaking in tongues. Uh, no, that's not how that works. You see, first of all, it's called the gift of the Spirit, not a gift of the classroom. You get it from the Holy Spirit, not from some guy in, in a class. In fact, on that note, skip ahead to verse 11. Verse 11, uh, Paul says again, all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And so these are given by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit wills, they're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts of a church, not the gifts of a, of, of, of a, of a, of a preacher. They're given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so contrary to, to what the charismaniac might think and, and say that, that, you know, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not even saved, uh, the Bible tells us that some speak in tongues and some do not speak in tongues. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that, that he gives different gifts to different people. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He gives different gifts to different people. Not everyone has the same gifts. In fact, we've seen that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, to one is given this gift, and to another is given this gift. To one this gift, and to another that gift. We don't all have the same gifts. And we certainly don't all have the gift of tongues. <clears throat> and then, it's interesting, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 30, Paul then asks a rhetorical question. He says, do all speak in tongues? And again, it's a rhetorical question, meaning the answer's in the question, like a, like a grilled cheese sandwich, the recipe's in the name. And so what's the, what's, the, what's, what's the answer to this rhetorical question? Do all speak in tongues? Obviously, no. Some do and some do not. And so we see in verse 11 that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives as He wills. I don't determine what gift I get. You don't determine the gifts that you get. And, and I cannot give you the gifts that, that you want. The Holy Spirit gives those gifts. But he doesn't give you the gifts that you want. He gives you the gifts that he wants to give to you. It's his will, not your will. They're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is Paul going over all this? Why? Because as I said, the, the, the Corinthian church was a church that was overemphasizing the gift of tongues. So Paul's trying to put it in the right perspective. Now on that note, let's define this. Let's find out what the gift of tongues is. So to do that, let's look at verses 10 and 11 again. 
Verse 10, Paul says again, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So now, when, when it comes to defining the gift of, of tongues, there's a, there's a couple of different views on this. Uh, view number one would, would, would be the, uh, to, to say that, it, that it's a missionary gift, a missionary gift. View number two would be to say that it's a prayer language. And so some would say it's a missionary gift. Others would say it's a prayer language. And you might say, yeah, but, but what about you, Pastor Paul? What do you think it is? I say C, all of the above. I think it can be both. I, I think it can be a missionary gift, and I think at times it can also be a prayer language. So let's break this down. First of all, a, a missionary gift. Now, what we mean by that is, is that it's like the, the supernatural ability to speak a foreign language that you've never studied, that you've never learned. You know, sometimes we hear about these missionaries that, 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 that take a trip, they move to another country, and, and they don't speak the language of that country. Now, by the way, uh, isn't being like a missionary to another country and yet you don't speak the language of those people, isn't that about as helpful as a lifeguard who can't swim? But anyway, you know, but, but, you, know, so, but you hear these, these stories and, and they move to another country and, and, and maybe they're in Africa and then all of a sudden, in the moment, all of a sudden they're speaking Swahili. Or, or, or they're in Quebec and they speak French or, or they're in Texas and they speak redneck. You know, but, it, but it's, this, it's this, this, this supernatural ability in the moment, temporarily, where, where God allows you to speak the language of the people you're trying to reach. That would be a missionary gift. But then, <coughs> we, 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 we see examples of this, for, for example, in, 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 in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we read about how on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 disciples gathered in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and, and it says he comes upon them like tongues of fire. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And by the way, that word utterance, it's repeated a handful of times in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 6, it goes on and it says, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And so they were confused because people who were obviously not the same ethnicity as they were were speaking in their mother tongue, speaking in their, in their native tongue, their native language. In fact, that phrase when it says, They heard them speak in his own language, it comes from the Greek term dialectos. We get the word, obviously, dialect from it. Languages, speech. And so in the context of Acts chapter 2, uh, speaking in tongues in the context of Acts chapter 2, it means that the, the, the ability to speak in a foreign tongue, in, in, a, in a foreign dialect, a foreign language. In fact, uh, years ago, John Corson, some of you know who John Corson is and some of you do not. John Corson, if you don't know, uh, was, was, was a, is a Calvary Chapel pastor. He started off in the early, early days uh, with Chuck Smith back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and then he moved up to Oregon, started a Calvary Chapel affiliate church called Applegate Christian Fellowship. Now, years back, he, he, was, he was guest speaking at a men's conference in Lake Arrowhead, California, at the Lake Arrowhead Hilton. Now, by the way, the, the hotel's policy was, was, that, was that if you're having a conference and you're using the conference room that they have, the bar had to be open. And they're like, listen, this is a, 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 men's, a Christian men's conference. We don't need the bar. And they're like, hey, the policy is the policy. Take it or leave it. 
So they're having this conference. The band comes up. They, 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 they sing some songs, some, some worship music. And, and while the music's playing, while people are singing, somebody in the room stands up and gives us utterance of tongues. And there's this long pause. Nothing else happens. So, so John Corson comes up and he says, you know, we thank the Lord for that beautiful utterance in tongues. But because there was no interpretation, that will be the only utterance of tongues for the evening. Then they went on, they finished the music, they had teaching, the conference was over, and at the end of the conference, the bartender comes up to, to, to John Corson with, with tears streaming down his cheeks, and he says, where is that guy that stood up and prayed? I've got to talk to that guy. And John Corson's like, well, I think the guy left. And he says, well, how does that guy know my, my, my native tongue? He's like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm Iranian, and that guy, he got up, and, and he just worshipped your God, the, the true and living God, in perfect Farsi. How does that guy know my native language? And so at that point, John Corson opened up 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and explained what the gift of tongues is and, and, and went over the whole thing. And, and needless to say, that was the night that that bartender got saved, that he gave his life to Jesus. That would be an example of tongues as a missionary gift where supernaturally, for, for whatever reason, you're given in, in the moment this ability to speak the language of someone else in order to reach them. It's like a sermon for one. A message just for that person at their level, at their language. That would be a missionary language. But then there's others like, like Pastor Chuck Smith who would say that, that tongues is also a prayer language, a prayer language. Now they get that, by the way, at a 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Let's say, well, you can, you can pray in, in tongues. You can, you can pray in the Spirit. But now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 also seems to imply that if you do have this as a prayer language, that it's not a public gift, it's a private gift. It's not to be used in the public context, it's to be used in the privacy of your prayer closet. Why? Well, because the, the Bible implies that when it's a prayer language, it, it doesn't edify the whole body. It only edifies the one person who has that gift. Only one person's benefiting. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, for example, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. In other words, the only other person that understands anything you're saying is God himself. No one else is getting anything out of this. It doesn't benefit anybody else. The body isn't getting strengthened. The body isn't getting built up. It's, it, the only person benefiting from it is, is you. It benefits the one person who has the gift. Now, those who, who have this gift, who say they, they, they pray in a prayer language, you know, uh, they'll sometimes call it you know, the language of heaven. You know, we, 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 we've got earthly languages. You know, we've got English and Spanish and Chinese and Japanese. So I guess you have heavenlies, heavenies, you know. You just speak the language of heaven. And so, you know, uh, people like, like Pastor Chuck Smith and others, you know, they'll, they'll talk about how, you know, they, they might go into their prayer closet. You know, they're, they're privately praying at home. And, and they start off praying in English. They're just pouring out their heart to God. And then all of a sudden something happens and, and they just kind of start speaking in this, in this prayer language. This, this, you know, heavenese, you know, just this heavenly prayer language. But when they're done praying, they feel like their soul has been encouraged. They feel edified. They feel strengthened. They feel fortified in their spirit. It's like it built them up. In fact, Corey Tenboom said that she had a prayer language. 
But at the same time, she hardly ever talked about it, and she never used it in public. In fact, she would always rebuke people who did use it in public because she was convinced that the Bible teaches that it's not meant for the public, it's meant for the prayer closet. It doesn't edify the public, it only edifies the person praying. And so again, what is the gift of tongues? Well, it can be a missionary gift to reach the people that God sent you to, or it might be a prayer language that encourages you, that, 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 that builds you up. But now there's another gift in verse 10 that we're going to talk about, and that's interpretation, the interpretation of tongues. And so in verse 10, it says again, to another, the working of miracles, another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, this word interpretation, it comes from the Greek term hermeneia. We get the word hermeneutics from it. Now, some of you might be like, hermeneutics? Is, is that contagious? Do you need surgery for it? What is hermeneutics? Well, hermeneutics is actually a, a Bible college word. It, it means the science and the art of interpreting the scripture. And so, you know, if you, you, could, you could go to a Bible college and you could take a class to help you learn how to correctly interpret the scriptures, and it's called the class of hermeneutics. And it comes from this Greek word hermeneia interpret. But the word itself literally means to explain the meaning of something. To explain the meaning of something. And evidently, in this context, it's supernatural. In other words, God is supernaturally giving you the ability to explain the meaning of what someone else said when they said it in tongues. And so they say something in tongues, and then God gives you the, the supernatural ability to, to interpret the message, to interpret the meaning of it. A possible example of this might be from Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, we, we meet this pagan king, this, this king of Babylon named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is, is having this, this drunken feast with his buddies when all of a sudden, out of thin air, this hand appears. And this hand starts writing on the wall. And it writes the words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, you parson. Which translated means numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Now, here's, here's the kicker. The kicker is, is that those words, mene, mene, tekel, you parson, were written in the language of Aramaic. And the reason that's the kicker is because Aramaic was the common language of the land. The king spoke Aramaic. All of his advisors spoke Aramaic. All the drunken people at the party, they all spoke Aramaic, meaning that when they saw those words on the wall, they could read them. It was in their language. They knew when they saw Mene Mene to kill you, Parson, that it meant numbered, numbered, way divided. The words they understood. The problem was that it made no sense. It was just a bunch of random words strung together. Kind of like when I try to speak Spanish. Just a bunch of random Spanish words all strung together. And, and the person I'm talking to is like, I think you want an Indian taco. Uh, you know, but uh, <laughs> so it's just a bunch of strung together words. But now the king, he's convinced that, you know, because his hand appeared out of thin air, it must mean something. So he brings in all of his advisors. They try to interpret the meaning of it, but they all failed. Nobody could come up with it. So then they bring in Daniel. And Daniel's able to come in and not only read the words, but to interpret the meaning, interpret the message. He says, here's what the words, mene, mene, tekel, you parson, mean. It, yeah, it, obviously it means numbered, numbered, way divided, but here's the message. The message is that God has numbered your days, O king. You've been weighed and found wanting, and as a result, your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel gave the meaning. That's the gift of interpretation. It's not just defining or translating the words, it's giving the message behind it. 
Now, what's interesting is later on when we get to chapter 14, the Apostle Paul sets a series of guidelines on how spiritual gifts are supposed to be used in the church. In particular, how the gift of tongues was supposed to be used in the church. And and, and Paul's implying in chapter 14 that it's really not to be used in the church publicly. And that if it ever is used publicly, there's a limit. He says two or three at the absolute most speak in tongues publicly. And he says that with an interpretation. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 28, Paul says, if there's no interpretation, let him keep silent in the church. So again, why is Paul belaboring this? Why is he talking about this? Because this was a church, the Corinthian church, that, that, that was overemphasizing tongues and really abusing the gift of tongues. And so now Paul's giving them the correct perspective, the, the, the right order, the way this ought to be conducted. Now on that note, let's skip down to the end of the chapter. You know, sometimes we hear people call the gift of tongues the lesser gift. Well, is it? Is, is the gift of tongues the lesser gift? Let's find out as we look at verses 28 through 31. In verse 28, Paul says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are are, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. The New American Standard Bible, if you're reading that, would say earnestly desire the greater gifts. So now by way of review, uh, this morning in this this message, we've looked at two spiritual gifts, the the gift of tongues and the gift of of interpretation of tongues. And as we mentioned, tongues can uh, can, can be a missionary language where God supernaturally gives you the ability to speak a foreign language to reach a particular group of people. Or then again, It could be a prayer language uh, uh, where God gives you this this ability to speak a heavenly language, speak God's language, uh, and and, and you don't even know what you're saying, but your soul's being built up. Your spirit is being encouraged. You're you're, you're being strengthened in the process. You're speaking the language of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse verse 1, Paul kind of talks about the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, meaning there's earthly languages and there's heavenly language. And so in the moment, you've been given this ability to speak this heavenly language. But then there's a second gift we look at this morning, and that was the gift of interpretation, the interpretation of tongues. And as we said, it means to explain the meaning, to give the message. So now again, you've got got a a, a mission language and a heavenly language. Now maybe you're a missionary, and and you're out on this mission field, and, and all of a sudden you start speaking in what you think is gibberish. You think it's basically pig Latin. Turns out it's not pig Latin. Turns out it's not gibberish. Turns out you're actually speaking the native tongue of the people you're trying to reach. There's a missionary named Bruce Olson. Bruce was, was a missionary for 19 years in Columbia. And he says in, in 1961, he went out to Columbia to try to reach a, what he called a Stone Age tribe called the Motilones. And he tried to reach them, but, but, but he had to find them first. And, and, and everyone warned him not to find this tribe. Because if he did find this tribe, they would kill him. But he foolhardily ignored all the warnings, and he went out to try to find them anyway. And it turns out they were right, because the Motilones did try to kill him numerous times. And yet he didn't give up. He, he was relentless. He just kept going and going. And finally, after repeated attempts, he, he ultimately uh, not only led the chief of the tribe to Christ, he ends up leading the entire tribe to Christ. And now after a handful of years of this tribe following Christ, in the year 1967, a, a group from the Motelones tribe decide they want to go to another tribe 
called the Yukos and tell them about Christ. But there were two problems. Number one, uh, the Yukos were their hated enemies. These two tribes absolutely hated each other. Problem number two, these two tribes did not speak the same language. They didn't understand each other. The only thing they understood was hatred and murder. And so with that, Bruce Olson uh, tried to warn them not to go and find this tribe. Just like he was warned many years ago, he's now warning them. But just like uh, he ignored their warnings, they now are ignoring his warning. And so they go, and they're gone for several days. And after several days, they come back, but they come back with smiles. And they're cheering. And, and he says, well, well, how did it go? And they said, wonderful. He said, well, well did, uh, did you tell them about Jesus? And they said, of course we did. Well, did they understand what you were saying? And they said, yeah, of course they did. Well, how do you know they understood what you were saying? Well, because they told us they understood, and they were very excited to hear more about Jesus. And so in his personal journal, Olson writes and says, I can only conclude that God's Holy Spirit made the Motolones speak and understand the, the tongue of the Yuko, and made the Yuko speak and understand the tongue of the Motolones. Kind of a case of, of speaking in tongues and interpretation on both sides. It's a missionary language. But what about those times when, 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 when someone's not speaking in a foreign language, but they're speaking in a heavenly language? Like, for example, I was reading this week about Max Lucado. Now, if you don't know, Max Lucado for, for many, many years has been pastoring in the Church of Christ denomination and has been raised to believe that the gift of tongues has ceased, that it no longer exists. It's not for today. But as he explains, he was, he, he was reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that it says to, to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so he just prayed about that and prayed about that. And, and while he was praying about it, all of a sudden, Max Lucado, at the age of 64 years old, who's always believed that, that the gift of tongues does not exist, started speaking in tongues. And he now says that he has a heavenly prayer language. But what about when somebody takes their prayer language out of their prayer closet and they make it public? And it happens publicly. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I have. You know, I mean, sometimes what happens is, is maybe, maybe you're in a worship context and there's music going on, everybody's singing, and all of a sudden somebody stands up and they give an utterance in tongues and they say something like, she rode a Honda Wakanda forever. <laughs> and you're like, What? And then somebody else on the other side of the room, they stand up and, 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 they, and they're all like, thus saith the Lord, God's judgment is going to fall in this place. There's going to be fire in this. You know, and, 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 and evidently what's happened is, is someone spoke in tongues on one side and someone else on the other side had the interpretation of the tongue. But now what's interesting is that in the Bible, that phrase, thus saith the Lord, who uses that phrase in the Bible? Over and over again, it's the prophets. Anytime that phrase, thus saith the Lord, was uttered, it was uttered by a prophet. In other words, that was the gift of prophecy being used, not the gift of interpretation being used. So I think if it was really the gift of tongues and then really the interpretation of tongues, I mean, if somebody got up and, 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 and uttered their prayer language on one side of the room, then what would it sound like if someone else interpreted their prayer language? Well, I think we have an example of that in the scriptures. For example, back in Acts chapter 2, we talked about it, the day of Pentecost. The, the, the 120 disciples, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're speaking in tongues. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says, we hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. Nobody stood up and says, thus saith the Lord. What were they saying? No, the wonderful works of God. If you're interpreting someone's prayer language, it's probably going to sound like that. Somebody talking about the wonderful works of God. Or, or then again, in Acts chapter 10, we talked about it. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his whole household. 
And then it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 46, it says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so when it's a prayer language that's now been made public, the only way it's going to benefit everybody else is if there's an interpreter. And somebody else gets to hear uh, that, that you're magnifying God. Somebody else gets to hear the, the, the wonderful works of God and the whole church can benefit, the whole church can join in and the whole church now can magnify God. The whole church now can proclaim the, the, the wonderful works of God. And now everybody gets something out of it. And so again, the Corinthian church, as we said, was a church that was overemphasizing the gift of tongues. And it was because of their background. Because of their background, uh, they, they were predisposed to think that, that, that tongues was the greatest gift. Of all the spiritual gifts, they thought tongues was the greatest gift. But what's interesting is in those verses I, I had you read earlier, verses 28 through 31, Paul now is, is rattling off a list of spiritual gifts. In fact, look at those verses again. Uh, chapter 12, verses 28, uh, 29, 30, and 31. He says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are, are, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Again, the, the New American Standard Bible, the greater gifts. Now, what's interesting is that Paul uses the word first. Again, in verse 28, he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles. That word first, it's the Greek word protos. We use this word today when we talk about a prototype. But the word itself, protos, literally means first in rank, first in importance. In other words, what Paul's doing, this, this is telling us that Paul is ranking the spiritual gifts in order of importance. He's ranking the spiritual gifts in order of greatness, from the greatest to the least, from the most important to the least important. And so he's saying, he's saying God has appointed as the first, the, the most important, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then healing, helping, administration, and then various kinds of tongues. And then he sums it all up by saying, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And so what's interesting is, is Paul is telling the Corinthians that, that, that the gift of tongues is not the greatest gift on the list, it's the last gift on the list. It's not the gift of all gifts, it's not the greatest gift, it's the la in the order of importance, ranking from first to last, it was the last mentioned on the list. And why is that? Why, why would the gift of tongues be the, the, the lesser gift? Answer? Because when you think about it, the gift of tongues is the only spiritual gift that actually needs the help of another spiritual gift in order to bless the whole church. Without the gift of interpretation, that, that gift of tongues only blesses you. It only edifies you. It only encourages you. And the whole church misses out. But if you remember, back in verse 7, we were told what the purpose of spiritual gifts are. The purpose for every spiritual gift, verse 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, every spiritual gift is for the common good of the body. The whole body of Christ is supposed to benefit from all these spiritual gifts. But there's only one gift on the list that cannot bless the whole body of Christ unless it has help. And that's why it's last on the list. It's not the greatest, 
It was the least. In order of importance, it's last because it needs help to bless the whole church. And so, in a sense, Paul's saying, listen, he's telling the Corinthians to put the right emphasis on the right syllable. Quit overemphasizing the wrong thing. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 and 2, he says, Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may speak in tongues. I'm just checking. That's not what it says. It's making sure nobody fell asleep. No, he says, especially that you may prophesy. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians that that if they're going to desire spiritual gifts, then make sure you desire the greatest gift, not the the lesser gift. Make sure you're desiring the gifts that are going to bless everyone else, not just yourself. Desire the gifts that, that bless the whole body. And that's why he says uh, that that, that we are to earnestly desire the greatest gifts, the greater gifts, the gifts that bless the whole body. And that, church, is the truth about tongues. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.